I wonder, are there any New York Jets fans in the room today? Oh, we actually have a couple. That's pretty amazing. I think I got two, maybe three. I wonder if there's any Jets fans online. I'm not a Jets fan, but uh, I'm excited for my one or two friends who are Jets fans that uh, I know that you, you signed a new quarterback, right? Aaron Rodgers has come from the Green Bay Packers. I know you're very excited about that. Uh, but I want you to imagine a scenario with me this morning. Imagine that uh, the NFL season kicks off in September and, and Aaron Rodgers leads the Jets to their first victory uh, of the season. And, and as a fan base, they're excited. And, and so the, the team comes off the field and, and uh, Rodgers goes to the, to the locker room. He showers up and he comes to the press conference in a Packers jersey. Now imagine that, you know, he's, this is the team he's left, and yet he comes to the presser in a, in a Packers jersey. And imagine weeks two, three, and four, uh, the, the Jets cease winning, and the reason is that Rodgers is running the Packers pl- uh, offensive scheme with the Jets. And so there's confusion and chaos. He's running the plays of the team that he used to belong to, and he continues to come to the press conferences, changing out of his Jets uniform and putting on a Green Bay Packers jersey. Imagine the, black, the backlash, right, from the media, from the fan base. It'd be, it'd be chaos. By the way, I wouldn't put this past Aaron Rodgers necessarily. <laughs> but, you know, this is precisely the same kind of idea of what Paul is talking about as we get near to the end of the book of Galatians. Over the last couple of weeks, including today, we've been saying that kind of the essence of what Paul's saying is be who you are. You've experienced new life. You're on a new team. Now, I know the illustration breaks down a little bit because going from the Packers to the Jets isn't necessarily, but hey, I'm a Mets fan, so I can get away with with saying that. But nonetheless, freedom in Christ, what we've talked about is uh, uh, Christian liberty, if you will, is a turning from our sin and from the law, but it's also a turning to Christ, to a new way of living, to serving others and to obedience for Christ. It becomes a delight to walk with him, to obey him, to walk in freedom. We're set free from sin. We're set uh, free to something else. But but it's, it's fair to ask the question then, and this is kind of where Paul's going in our message today, how do we do this? How do we live this new kind of life? How do we live in the pattern of the new team that we're on, if you will? And the short answer is by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's where Paul's going this morning. And so I want to read our text for today, and then we're going to pray together and then explore it. Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 16. Paul says, I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, And the spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I am warning you about these things as I warned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its past passions and desires. 
If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Pray with me this morning, church. Our God and Father, we approach your word, Lord, with a, fear, a sense of, of fear and trepidation, a, a godly reverence for who you are and for what your word says. There are some hard words in this text. Lord, as we talk this morning a lot about passion and desire, Lord, we do so at the beginning of June, a time when our culture is driven by passion and desire. And Lord, would you instruct our hearts in what you want us to hear this morning through your Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, Paul begins with this idea of, we could say it this way, there's, that there's a holy war that's going on. There's a holy war that's going on inside of us if you are a believer in Jesus. It's between the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit himself, and your flesh, your sinful flesh. And Paul begins, he says, if you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify or carry out the desires of the flesh. This could be a, a thesis statement or a principle statement for the doctrine of Christian living. Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. It's almost formulaic. And in, in the original language here is the idea of the present tense imperative. Right now, keep on walking. It's a command. Probably best rendered in that manner. Keep on walking. There's a persistency to what Paul is talking about. And in the, such a way, you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. It's not possible. How? Because Paul says the spirit and the flesh are opposed to one another. And Paul says elsewhere that, that you cannot serve God and mammon. By the way, the word there is not money. It's not dollars and cents per se. It's mammon. It's that which is temporal and earthly and of this world. The old team. You can't serve them both. They're in opposition to each other. And Paul spends a great deal of time in Romans chapter 7 kind of belaboring this, this discussion. He says, the things that I want to do, that I know that I should do, I don't do those things. That's sins of omission things that we should do, but that we don't do. But he says, the, the things that I don't want to do, the things I know that I shouldn't do, I do those things. That's sins of commission, the thing, sins that we commit. And there's this sort of language of descending into a place of despair as he nears the end of the passage. And he says, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? And of course, the answer comes, but thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ and verse 25. Paul is saying much the same here. Romans is much of a, a, an expounding on, on some of the principles we see in Galatians. James says it this way. James the apostle says, what is the source of wars and fights or, or quarrels among you? Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? Paul is saying there's a holy war going on within us. And when we are driven by our passions and our desires, there's a problem. Paul says a little later in Romans that the mindset of the flesh is death. But the mindset of the spirit is life and peace. It's a better way. And we're going to come back to that theme. The, the mindset of the, of the flesh is, is hostile to God. Why? Because it cannot submit to God's law. It won't submit to God's law. And so you have the Judaizers that enter Paul's, enter the Galatian communities and say, the way to suppress the fleshly appetites is to, is to follow the rules. And Paul says, no. It's to submit to walking with the Spirit. 
Many of you can attest from your own life that following the rules and trying harder doesn't work. And we become enslaved to our sin or to just a system of law. We cannot do it on our own. I love what William Temple says here, the the British theologian. He says, it's no good giving me a play like Hamlet and telling me to write a play like that. Shakespeare could do it. I can't. It's no good showing me the life of Jesus and then telling me to live like that. Jesus could do it. I can't. But if the genius of Shakespeare could come and live in me, then I could write plays like his. And if the spirit of Jesus could come and live in me, then I could live a life like his. It's a holy war. And Paul says, if you walk according to the spirit, you will not, certainly not, he says, gratify the desires of the flesh. True Christian freedom, Christian liberty that Paul talks about in the beginning of this chapter is a life of dependence on the Holy Spirit, walking in fellowship with the Holy Spirit. So our first question by way of application, a little abstract admittedly this morning, is this, am I expecting freedom from Christ and or my flesh by following a list of rules or by submission to the Holy Spirit? I don't know how that plays out in your life, but what are the things where, you know, we have this tendency, right, to back into a system of rules? So Paul then makes things abundantly clear in terms of what kinds of fleshly appetites we're talking about. In the next section, the next two sections, he's going to contrast the works of the flesh, what we'll call ugly works, with the fruit of the Spirit, what we'll call the emerging fruit of Christ himself. So he begins with this phrase. Now, the works of the flesh are obvious. They're obvious. And I I think there's two ways, probably one principal way and a secondary way that Paul means this. Number one, the works of the flesh are obvious. We know when we're doing something wrong. I would argue that that while uh, uh, humanity outside of even Christendom, has become desensitized to sin to a large degree, yet in our gut, we know it's wrong. Why, if you work for, let's just say you're, as as a non-Christian, you work for a company and you're on your computer in your cubicle and an advertisement comes up, and I'm talking about pornographic, but just racy, and you click on that advertisement, and if somebody walks over, what do you do? You jump to another screen, right? Why? The acts of the flesh are, are obvious. Or what about if you're around the water cooler, so to speak? Some places actually have literal water coolers, but you're, you're having that water cooler gossip conversation. You're talking about that one employee and somebody walks in the room, you're not sure who it is, and what happens? Everybody lowers their voices, right? Or you lose your temper to your, to, in your home. You blow your top at your kids and you realize that the neighbor's standing right outside the door and the screens are open and you pull it back right away. The acts of the flesh are obvious. I think the other way that it's a surprise, we'll touch on this in a couple minutes, is brothers and sisters in Christ, we should not be surprised when the world does not look like Christians, does not behave in a biblical manner. We act so stunned by this, and we shouldn't. But Paul's talking to believers, and he begins with the category, we're going to look at four categories of sexual sin. Now I want you to note as we go through this morning the language of passion and desire. But Paul says three things. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, and promiscuity or, or debauchery. Three categories of sin. The first one, 
Sexual morality is, is the Greek word porneia. can be translated fornication. It's any sexual relationship out of God's design, which is monogamous marriage between a man and a woman. And, and why do we hang on that? Well, number one, it's what the scripture teaches us. Number two, it's because Paul tells us in the Bible that, that a man and a woman, biologically complementary, being married in a covenant before God for their lives is emblematic and illustrative of the relationship that God has with his people. There is no other sexual relationship that can, that can mirror that. And so, yes, sex between two men or two women is sinful, but so is sex between two people who are not yet married and are living together. So is the rampantness of pornography that, that exists at a high level, even within the church. An industry that has now uh, ex exceeded $100 billion, that, that exceeds all of the major sports revenues put together. It's, it accounts for 35% of all online streaming traffic. And so while we need to teach what the Bible says clearly, Paul is writing to Christians here in the, in the book of Galatians. What about moral impurity? More impurity is just a, a, a general perversion in thought and in, that permeates the culture of God's people. What about debauchery or, or promiscuity? Here is the idea, and both the primary commentators I looked at, it was interesting, they said it this way. It's open, shameless, either contempt of sexual purity or open, shameless celebration of sexual perversion. If that doesn't describe the time that we live in. But again, Paul's writing to the church. What do you do with a world the Judaizers said to, to uh, take control of the flesh? We obey the rules. Paul says, submit to the spirit. What do you do when the world, and this was true in Paul's time for the secular world, says there are no rules? Why would you withhold indulging in your desires? That's what our world says today. As they mark the month of June, by the most stark of all human sins, pride. It moves us to religious sins. Religious sins, idolatry and sorcery or witchcraft. It's interesting that whether you're talking about the New Orleans Festival of Decadence or the Salem, Massachusetts, Satan Con that recently happened, or many pride events, you'll note that all of these events are starting to have more overt expression of, of satanic content. You see, Paul writes these in categories, but there's no hard lines. Sin is sin. We're beginning to see, we're beginning to see that. What about social sin? Hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of, of anger, dissensions, factions. He goes on and on. These are sins that often happen behind the closed doors of a home or dare I say, in a church or in a workplace. It's that sin of, of losing our temper and lashing out and bringing our stress, I'll speak for me, bringing our, my stress from work at times, particularly when I was a young dad and taking it out of my family. And then there's the intemperate sins, sins of a lack of self-control, sins particularly connected to the abuse of alcohol, drunkenness, carousing, orgies, and Paul says in one other translation, and the like. All of this categories of sins, Paul's put, Paul puts before his people, and he says, I warn you as I did before, that those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Something he says also in 1 Corinthians 6 and Ephesians 5. Now, I want to distinguish this morning, in as much as Paul is giving us a strong warning, I want to distinguish between committing sin 
versus being characterized by a lifestyle of sin. Even as believers in Jesus, you and I will commit sins, perhaps on a frequent, a somewhat frequent basis, if you consider daily or whatever it might be. But the life of the Spirit-led believer is one that moves quickly to confession and repentance and restoration with God and restoration horizontally with those we've wounded. It's, it's the conscience and the voice of the Holy Spirit that moves us quickly to a place of brokenness and seeking the forgiveness of God and those that we've hurt versus being characterized by a lifestyle of sin. Paul uses the word practice. It's the idea of, of, uh, of repetition. Brothers and sisters, again, we should not be surprised when the world acts in an unbiblical or non-Christian way. The behavior of the world, as we look at the New Testament, is not our primary concern. I, I want you to note that the apostles, whether it be Paul or Peter or James or John, that their concern was those who named the name of Jesus and how they behaved. The, the apostles did not call the church to a culture war. It called the church to holiness coming out of the world. Paul did not speak of the sexual morality of the Roman bathhouses and the pedophilia and so on and so forth. Uh, uh, Peter did not speak of the heinous persecution of, of Nero's empire against Christians. But what they both did do is they spoke to believers in Jesus who had come out from those communities and said to live differently than the world around them. How do we do that? What is the mandate for us as Christians? I love this quote. Uh, by Henry Ironside, he says this. He says, I cannot help it if a bird alights on top of my head, but I can help it if he builds a nest, his nest, in my hair. You may not be able to help if the thoughts or urges or desires or temptations come surging into your head, into your mind, but you can help indulging those thoughts. Part of it comes from recognizing, am I asking the wrong questions? What do I mean by that? Uh, when I was a youth pastor, you know, we would speak, uh, do a series once a year on sex and dating, and Jeremy does as well. And, and I would get, invariably, I would get this question in some form or fashion, usually multiple times, and I'm sure Jeremy has uh, as well. It, it, here's the question. You probably kind of know where I'm going. It was, we'd be talking about sex and dating, and, and we get this question. How far is too far? You know, if you were a young person who grew up in the church and, and came to know Jesus, you probably asked that question. As adults, we ask similar questions and any form of that question of how close can I get to sin, Paul is saying then it indicates that you're not regenerate or that you're asking the wrong questions. Paul writes these verses that we, we might check our salvation, that we might know where we stand before a holy God. And then he gets to verse 22. He says, but, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But he continues, he says, the law is not against such things. Why? Because these are the very fulfillment of the law. We're going to see why in just a minute. But he says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified, past tense, the flesh, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Very important phrase. If we live by the Spirit, Paul says, let us also keep in step 
with the Spirit. In other words, while Paul highlights these areas of, of, of fleshly works, he doesn't spend time in the spirit of what he's been talking about saying, therefore, work hard to rid yourselves of these things. No, what does he say? Walk according to the Spirit. You will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Perhaps an illustration. Uh, some species of oak trees will hold their leaves all winter. In other words, when, when late November, early December comes and the sap drains out of the tree and the, the leaves turn brown and they wither, they hang on to the tree and they stay there. The tree, the, the life has run out, they're dead, but they stay there. But in late February and early March, as the sap begins to run in the tree, as new life flows into the tree, into its extremities, and the buds begin to develop, they push the old leaves off and they fall to the ground. This is similar to the fruit of the Spirit, to walking by the Spirit. That this living a Spirit-filled life, walking after the Spirit, expels the flesh as new life grows stronger. It's what the Puritans called the expulsive power of a new affection the expulsive power of a new affection. And this morning, if you wrestle with what we've said about some of these areas of, of sin, particularly in light of the time and the culture that we're living in, don't miss Paul's call here. The call is to a new and greater affection. I want to speak this morning, particularly to those who may be watching online or in the room this morning, that you wrestle with some form of sexual brokenness. By the way, big pastoral point here. No one gets a pass on sexual brokenness. Whether it's what you struggle with or what you, your behaviors or what behaviors that have been done to you. But if you struggle this morning, if you're someone who's same-sex attracted or maybe you're in a same-sex relationship or you're somebody who struggles with your, your gender identity versus your biological sex, what Paul is saying is those passions and desires and, and, and all of the thought, feeling, emotion stuff is the wrong affection. God is calling you to a greater affection. You know, we have um, our vision here that kind of sits under our mission statement is what we affectionately call the three E's. The first E is enfold. And that is that we feel that we are a church biblically that's called to enfold those who come through those doors, no matter what brokenness, trial, struggle, sin they come through with. But the second E is equip. That is that we are called, Ephesians 4 tells us, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. To equip you, if you're new to the Bible, with what does the Bible say? What does God say? Not my thoughts, feelings, and emotions. What does God say about who I am, my identity? What does God say about my biology? What does God say about human sexuality? And to, oh, find the affection for a God who knows me and loves me. So Paul begins, the fruit of the Spirit is, and note that it's fruit, not fruits. Right? It's singular. And the singular term, word fruit, indicates the composite character of Jesus Christ himself in this ninefold fruit of the Spirit. What do I mean by that? What does it mean to be a Christian? To be a Christian means that there's been a moment of repentance or I've turned from my sin and I've turned toward Christ and I've received what he's done on the cross on my behalf. And when that happens, the spirit of the risen Christ comes and lives within me. And he produces in me, as I walk with him, the ninefold fruit of the spirit. 
which is the very character of Jesus Christ himself. And so it's not so much that, that I focus on being a little more joyful as a Christian or I'm working on patience over here. No, it's what is produced. That's why I like the word emerging. It emerges from my life as I walk with him. All of it at once. My entire character has changed. Why? I have a new affection. I'm walking with him. And so Paul says, while there is a moment of repentance and salvation for the Christian, there is a daily repentance. There is a daily appropriation of what Christ did for me on the cross. There's a daily appropriation of the new life that I have in him to the glory of God, amen. It's a daily repentance. John Stott talks about our propensity and Paul talks about this list of sins to our sinful flesh. Listen to what he says. He says, it is as if having nailed our old nature to the cross, we keep wistfully returning to the scene of the execution. We begin to fondle it, that is our old nature, to caress it, to long for its release, even to try to take it down again from the cross. We must learn to leave it there. And so Stott goes on to say, the rejection of our, of our flesh needs to be pitiless, painful, and purposeful. In other words, we call sin a sin. We don't sugarcoat it. At times, we need to not use the word struggle or I fell into or these passive verbs, right? We need to say, I sinned. I chose to sin. I, I, um, some of you were at man camp a couple years ago and I, I love what the speaker said. He said, you know, we pray these, these lying prayers to God sometimes. We, we, as Christians, we say, Lord, you know, I, I'm really sorry that I blew it with that sin and I really didn't want to do it, God, and I, and I want to honor you. And the honest prayer is this, God, I wanted that more than I wanted you. Our rejection of our flesh must be pitiless, painful, and purposeful. Those who went to a Roman cross did not live so too our sin will die. So the world, while the world would say that we're, we should indulge our passions and celebrate our desires, Paul is saying, no, put them to death. Dr. Dave Reed said it really succinctly. I was listening to this week. He said, keep the flesh in the place of death. Keep the flesh in the place of death. Why? Friends, there's a better way. Is a better way. It's what Paul's. It's called keeping in step with the Spirit. By by the way, shameless plug. Uh, that that's the title of which is where I stole the sermon title from. Uh, my favorite book on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit is "Keep in Step with the Spirit" by J.I. Packer. Uh, there are great books by D.A. Carson and John Stott and others, but "Keep in Step with the Spirit." If you're looking for a, a good read and a study in the Holy Spirit, is is excellent. But what does it mean to keep in step with the Spirit? Well, we have been kind of dealing in the abstract a lot, so I want to give you uh, some really concrete just way to respond and to apply this. And so we're going to talk about the three C's of keeping in step with the Spirit. The first C is the communion of prayer. This is the daily rhythm of an ongoing dialogue with the God of the universe through the Holy Spirit. That, that I come to the Lord with my frustrations. I come to him with the things I'm delighted and elated about. I come to him with the temptation to, to respond in anger. Like whatever it is, I, there's a constant dialogue. And I'm downloading to the, to the Holy Spirit my very heart. It's a communion between you and the living God. The second is the counsel of his word. Not only would we certainly encourage you that every morning when you get up, read at least a, a scripture verse meditate on it. But even beyond that, 
when you face whatever those things are throughout your day and you have a few minutes, or maybe when you get home from work, whatever it is, those temptations and frustrations and the joys and the highs and all of it, that you turn to the word of God and you glean from it and you seek to know him that you might know yourself as well. A communion of prayer, the counsel of his word. The late Jerry Bridges said this. He said, the Christian is not like an automobile with a self-contained power source. Rather, he's like an electric motor that must be constantly connected to outside current for its power. Our source of power is the risen Christ. And we stay connected to him by beholding him in his word and depending on him in prayer. And I'd add one more thing to that. The third C is the community of his people. While the fruit of the, peer, uh, of the Spirit is the composite character of Jesus Christ lived out, Jesus living through me, he's also given us his people. That in our trial, and this is the temptation, right? When we're in a bad place, it doesn't have to be sin, but it could be sin, uh, but just in a bad place, what do we tend to do? Withdraw, isolate, go it alone, take it on ourselves, gut our way out. That's not the biblical way. Communion, of prayer, the counsel of the word of God, and the community of God's people. I'll share a brief story from my week to kind of illustrate this. On Thursday, I think it was Thursday, I was just in a bad mental space. The best way I could describe it, and the word I, I used when I shared with others was, in my spirit, I was just agitated, like at unrest, uneasy. And by the grace of God, this is exactly what I did. I was wrestling with God throughout the day on what is going on. Is there some sin issue in my life? Like what, what, where is this coming from? Why am I feeling just no peace in my, in my spirit? And then I opened the word of God and I read a particular text. And I, uh, as, I, as I looked at, at the, the text I was looking at, I said, Lord, is there something in my life I'm hanging on to or, or I'm not giving you lordship? Lord, what is it? Well, I didn't get any particular answers the third thing I did is I reached out to some brothers and I just said, I don't know what's going on. I'm just agitated. Would you pray for me? And they said, absolutely. If you are in that place, do not isolate. Find a brother, a sister. Practice the three C's. Our last scripture this morning reminds us of, we've talked about the how, the what is the cross of Christ. It's what Paul has been saying throughout this whole book. And so I want to take us all the way back to the beginning of our series in Galatians chapter 2 as we prepare to take communion together. You can get your cups out. And Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. It's what we've just been talking about. And the life that I now live in this flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who what? Who loved me and gave himself for me. Note Paul's theology here. Paul uh, talks about himself, his identity, I, in, in, synonymously with his body, his physical body. He doesn't divide them. This is why when we baptize... And we physically remove them from the water, symbolizing that their whole self is united with them in, the, in his life. And then there's new life, walking by the Spirit. The life I now live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
Our final question for application this morning is this. Have I turned from my sin? Have I turned from my sin and turned toward the Lord Jesus Christ? And am I walking according to his spirit?